make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander, your host, the host of Entertainment Business Wisdom podcast. I'm here today with my special guest, Zach Morrison. Let me tell you about Zach. So he is a writer and director from New Jersey. Woo-hoo! His work includes the half-hour sitcom pilot, Canusa Street, and the Emmy-winning musical short film, Everything's Fine, A Panic Attack in D Major. He has produced short-form comedy and format videos for major internet brands like BuzzFeed, Esquire, and Cartoon Network. And he's worked as a writer's assistant and script coordinator in Late Night Comedy, with past credits including The Tonight Show, starring Jimmy Fallon. The Kids Tonight Show, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and Saturday Night Live. Zach has an MFA in television writing from Columbia University. Woo-hoo. And you are producing the pilot with Canoe's History right now as we speak. That's so exciting. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is um, this is really cool to be here. Yes. Excellent. You, you have such an interesting journey. And I have a couple other students who came out of Columbia and did you always have your trajectory in mind, like from the time you were getting your MFA to like, I know what I want to do, or did you kind of find it along the way? Um, it's sort of a mix of both. I mean, I've been lucky in the sense that I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. So uh, ever since my parents got me a Steven Spielberg Lego set for Christmas one year, that kind of just <laughs> that incep- for you, huh? inception, inception, the bug in my brain. And I've been hooked ever since. Um, <laughs> but it, the the act of getting here has kind of been a, a little bit of, you know, figuring out as I go and kind of finding my own way. Um, and I, I did my undergrad at Rutgers in New Jersey, where at the time there was no film program. So a lot of it was sort of you know, uh, making my own short films and navigating kind of the industry on my own as someone who doesn't have like an uncle that works in entertainment. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been fun. But Columbia was definitely the it, that that's kind of where I think a lot of things clicked for me was going to grad school um, to study writing and directing and things. Uh, everything that's happened since then can kind of trace back to that for me. Are you on the East Coast now? Or are you on the West Coast? I am in sunny New Jersey right now on on the <laughs> on on the East Coast. Um, I, I was living out in LA, and then when the, when the world shut down, I moved back home, like a lot of other people. Will you unpack that a little bit for us? The difference between what's happening on the East Coast in TV, some of the late night shows that you've worked on, versus the West Coast writers' rooms and whatnot. I'm always curious the delineation and distinction, especially for writers. Yeah, I mean, I so I've never worked on a show on the West Coast. So um, the only the only 
shows I've worked on so far, knock on wood, have, have been on the East Coast. I would love to work on a show in LA. Um, but I, I, for me, it's at least the way I've kind of wrapped my brain around it. It's your late night shows. Um, it's whatever Tina Fey is doing. And then it's the cop shows, right? And even some of those are written in Los Angeles. And um, billions. Oh, billions. Yes, billions. And I, I, know, I know there's a couple. Like, and there's, I know there's Tina Fey, billions. We've had it. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I know it, it just in general, it's a much smaller community in terms of just, it, if you look at it just from a numbers perspective, there's just way more rooms out in LA. So mm -hmm. navigating that has sort of been an interesting process. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I've definitely, you know, it, it's been, I've been fortunate that I've been able to work on the shows that I have, because it's been a really fun time. That's so cool. How'd you get plugged in? Uh, so I started at Late Night with Seth Meyers as an intern um, because a like the sort of a weird kind of byproduct of Columbia's program. Uh, it's a four to five year MFA. Uh, you do two years of of classwork, like standard. Wait, this is you know, like the medical school of. <laughs> it's like I if, if, if I, I went. You said four to five years. Yeah, yeah. If I went in any other field, I could have a, a doctorate by now. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if I made the right choice, but uh, no, no. It, it's, so it's two years of class and then year three to potentially year five, you're an artist in residency at the school. So it, however long it takes you to do your thesis package, you just kind of hang out. You know, there's no class, no homework or any of that stuff. So in that time, I started interning at the show and I got there because uh, a guy that I have a buddy of mine from college at Rutgers, who I worked at the TV station with, I went to grad school, he went to NBC to work like in the engineering department. And so he was able to pass my resume along to another Rutgers alum that worked at Seth Meyers. And so, you know, kind of working that college, oh, college connection network through. I love that. Yeah. So then, and then once I got in there, then I, you know, I did a semester at Seth and then I went to Jimmy Fallon. Then I went to SNL, then back to Fallon. And so it was sort of a two years of um, doing kind of writers PA work and then get, moving up to writer's assistant and a, a lot of working on the monologue team of like writing the setups for each joke. Awesome. So, you know, when he, either Seth or Jimmy are like, check this out, guys, I saw Donald Trump did something dumb at a thing. And then, you know, insert punchline here. I was the one writing the front half of every joke, which was a really, really cool experience. And, you know, so it was, it was fun. It was a good time. That's amazing. God, were you nervous? Were you excited when you first started becoming a writer's assistant in those positions? A lot of pressure. It was, I mean, it was fun. I like, I didn't know to be scared or nervous because there was, there's no time for it. <laughs> Just, <laughs> everything, everything moved so quickly. Um, but I was also, you know, because I, I started interning as a grad student, I was 25, 26 and, and my peers were 18, 19. So there was sort of, because I had a little bit more just work experience and life experience, it made that a whole lot easier, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Wait, the other interns were 18 and 19 in the same space? Yeah, because most of the interns on any, you know, interns in general in New York City are usually your NYU undergrads or just college students. And so I was a grad student, but I was interning. And so it was sort of, you know, it was a little bit different. So I, I felt like the dad. You're like the, the old intern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An intern whose hair was slightly starting to gray at that point. You're like, then the 25 is just still a baby and you're already like, you know, aging out of being an intern in this industry. It's crazy. Oh my yeah, God. it's why it's wild. The But like, you know, there's no there's no time. There's no path and everyone's thing is different. So I, I love grad school. I, I realized I kind of put my professional career on hold for a, a short couple of years, but 
what I've been able to learn through that, I think, has been paying dividends for sure. Oh, it's so interesting. Well, tell me about what you learned from some of these experiences working for these significant late night shows. Yeah, I, I I think the I mean as a writer, right? Like you know that to write for any of those shows is is a dream. It still is. If anyone's listening, I would I have packets. Uh, <laughs> but I think I mean the big thing that I learned, especially as a comedy writer, is that you know there's you can't be precious with with your work because if it's not if the joke doesn't land, you have to throw it out and and keep going. And and so you have to be able to churn through new material fast because you know every day is a whole a whole new thing so you know i i feel like a lot of a lot of writers who i talk to now you know they're maybe they're writing their first feature or their first pilot or whatever and they've been writing it for for 10 years you know and and so the you kind of have to just like word vomit it on the page and move on to the next thing because there's no time you know so that that was definitely a lesson i think that helped me out um and also, you know, as someone who's still kind of working his way up in this industry, learning how to be around people and be normal, <laughs> you know, like I, I had to show Taylor Swift where the bathroom was once. And that as just a normal human showing another human where the office bathroom is. But, you know, you, you have to learn how to exist in in the industry. And so that was also a huge um, learning experience. Well, exists in rarefied space, too. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know if you know that I worked for Gary Shandling, but I was with him for a couple of years. So I was on the backside of his yeah. not at a time where he was doing as much stand up or, you know, writing monologues and stuff. Do you do stand up? I am terrible at stand up. Uh, I, I want to be good, but I, I do way more um, sketch stuff. And I, I hosted a YouTube show for a couple of years. And so front facing comedy is fun, but stand up is not my thing. I'm just curious how you know. Yeah, you're writing a monologue. How are you? How do you know if that joke's going to land? Is there? There's no opportunity to perform it beforehand, is there? Well, so the shows do a um, they do a monologue rehearsal, which which as as an intern, as the, especially the writer's intern, was really really cool experience to sit in on that. But um, part of my uh, job is there, is there an audience or is it the crew or who who's watching the monologue rehearsal? Yeah, part of my job was to like pull tourists from the lobby of Thirty Rock and. <laughs> I just, hey, I just say, hey, hey, you're new here. You probably don't speak this language, but come on and listen to a comedy show. And so I was, I was that guy, you know, running around the like the NBC store and pulling people out of line at Starbucks uh, in Rock Center to to sit in on the monologue rehearsal. So it was it was cool because they, he, you know, Seth would do um, about three times as many jokes as as they would do in the monologue. So you you get to see the process of you know we'll have two or three two or three jokes for the same setup and just kind of as, as a writer, just oh, alts? So you just have a few alts for that joke to see what's going to land. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was cool. It was cool to watch just to see, to see the process from, from kind of behind the scenes. Uh, oh. But yeah. So then from there it gets cut down and pared down based on like what gets the best laughs and all that. And then they get ready for putting it on the air later that night. Yeah, after the rehearsal, they sit through and they kind of go through what worked and what didn't work and what stuff do we have to throw out? Oh, if news breaks at 555 and we have to throw the whole monologue out, that, you know, that stuff happens. And I was there in 2016, so that stuff was happening a lot. Oh, yes. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. And they're working off teleprompters, yeah? No, cue cards. It's all, cue uh, it's, it's cue cards. Yeah, so everything no gets written. Stop. Everything gets written on cards. Yeah, Wally, Wally, the cue card guy who's been there forever is still there, and it that's the, it works for them. That's their system, and 
Uh, I've seen teleprompters malfunction and then it gets awkward. So I totally get why they do it. Wow. And so cue cards are reliable. See, I'm learning all kinds of stuff from you right now. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Let's talk about SNL a little bit because talk about legacy. I mean, I, from what I understand, some of the people who have been like the guy who plugs in the lights on that show has been there for like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, as as an intern at that show, that was just I was just drinking that up at just on a high of, you know, this is the coolest thing in the world. Uh, my job there, I worked in the script department there. So they, they didn't it wasn't like um, kind of this monologue structure because weekend update kind of did its own thing so i worked on the script team with the script coordinators um and basically prepping you know because they do a table read on wednesdays of like the 50 sketches that get chosen for the read and so i'm prepping the packets of you know the the 50 or 60 sketches that get set for that day and making copies and running the copies and i was the i was rob schneider the copy room guy making copies all right you know like i was that was my job was to was to run the copy machine. Um, but it was neat because again, as a student of writing and a student of comedy, it was amazing to be there and watch the process and, and to see again, what works and what doesn't work. And I, cause I would read all the sketches and I was like, Oh my God, this is funny. How did this not go? And then to see it, just to, to see that decision-making was neat. And then, um, the, you know, on Saturdays I was there, um, you know, as they were like rewriting the first sketch as the opening titles were going, I had to run the pages to to cue cards and to the host and to Lauren's office and to all the stuff. So it was like a crash course in in live TV 101. Um, and again, it's just I, I can't speak highly enough about that experience. That's so cool. Hey, tell our listeners what a script cord does in case they don't know. The script coordinator. And, and so it's different, if, you know, on a late night show versus a narrative like scripted show in a writer's room but in general the script coordinator's job is to uh, track all the revisions of the script as new drafts come in to make sure all the changes get tracked and noted and and let everyone make sure everyone has the most recent draft uh sometimes there's actual proofreading and and copy editing that has to go into it to make to clean up the script in case you know the writer just kind of like smashed their keyboard and we need to make it pretty so producers can read it uh, so it's a very it's a technical job, and typically on a net on a scripted show, the the writer's assistant and the script coordinator are kind of the two main support staffs in in the writer's room. And, and a late night show or, or just a, a live live to tape show um, in a studio, it's sort of a larger staff. Sometimes you'll have multiple script coordinators, multiple writers assistants, um, and they, those are the the people that make the show happen uh, at the end of the day, which is both terrifying and also really cool to know that your your job is actually doing something you know i love that thanks so much for unpacking that for everybody it is a little like peek behind the curtain you know behind the scenes of how how much work goes into just making one of these episodes you know it's just a, it's amazing how much frenzy there is behind the scenes with what needs to go into it uh and then you know when it comes off i've always been a big late night fan i want to ask you what you are working on now what's happening for you what direction have you gone in with your focus and career yeah so right now i i am working on a half hour comedy pilot that i, I wrote and directed and we're actually in in post-production on um my my last project was a short film it was a musical comedy called everything's fine a panic attack in d major and that was my mfa thesis film uh that played the uh festival circuit in 2018 and 2019 okay uh and it ended up winning um 
the the student Emmy for best comedy in 2019, oh, which thank you. It was really cool. The the Television Academy does um, awards for students that they they don't televise during. I the wasn't Emmys, aware so. of that. <laughs> so they you know I came out to L.A. and that's kind of what got me out to L.A. and kind of got me my first manager and and started getting me plugged into kind of the system out there. Um, and then when when the world shut down and, and all the projects that were kind of had momentum behind him went away, including a couple that I was really excited for. I needed a a new script to write just to keep myself from going insane in in March of 2020. So I started working on this this pilot, which I never thought I would ever shoot because if you even if you asked me two years ago, hey, would you ever shoot a pilot? I'd say no, that's insane. Don't ever do it. There's no point. Um, and so I, I was like, what's just a, a crazy idea that I can write about. And then I read a news article about this real town in Vermont called Derby Line, Vermont, where the US-Canada border cuts the town right in half. Uh, so homes, buildings, stores, like this town existed before the border was a thing anyone cared about. And so when we started enforcing the border, cuts the town right in half. Uh, and you know when COVID happened, the, there's one gas station and it's on one side, and there's one supermarket and it's on the other side. And you know, so the, the article is talking about how the border shutdown for COVID is causing problems for this small town. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I read about that and I was like, this is a sitcom. This is funny. And when I was in grad school, we worked on a like I was in a writer's room class where we were simulating, you know, what what it would be like in a writer's room. And the you know professor was the showrunner, and all the writers were were we would write an episode for the show. And the show we ended that the class ended up doing was this sort of Narcos Breaking Bad gun running, drug smuggling on the northern border. Um, and me as the one comedy writer in that that whole film school, I was like, guys, this is a sitcom. This is funny. And they told me to go away. Uh, <laughs> go, 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 that's not Zach, our show. <laughs> Zach, shut up. Please go, please go sit down. So I've had to, I've, I've been like interested in this idea for, for a couple of years now. And when the pandemic hit, it was sort of the perfect opportunity to just crack it open. So I wrote uh, wrote the pilot script over 2020 did a table read with friends again told all my all my actor friends who did the zoom table read i'm never going to shoot this so let's not talk production notes let's not get into it and then fast forward the script started getting some buzz in the screenwriting circuit and and screenwriting competitions and film festivals picked it up and we were able to raise money for it and, and we independently produced the pilot so we're so what I'm in post-production now Congratulations. That's so cool. And I'm so curious your strategy behind producing the pilot, because I think usually you hear about people taking out shows with a script and with a Bible uh, and some ideas. So tell, tell us about your journey and the choice to make the pilot and, and also making it. Yeah. Again, if if you asked me this, you know, five years ago, three years ago, I, I'd tell you no way. But I feel like the industry with streaming, plus the way things have changed after the pandemic, um, I feel like the industry is starting to realize that they've been sleeping on the independent episodic as a medium for a long time. I mean, we had we had a, co a couple shows like High Maintenance did it uh, on HBO because it was a web series before that. Um, you know, Always Sunny kind of famously, they shot the pilot themselves. And, and so it's it's happened in the past. But I think now, you know, and, and the reason I, I say this is because all the major film festivals now have episodic categories. I mean, Sundance, South by Tribeca, they all do indie TV and no one's making indie TV because the, we just haven't figured out uh, what to do with that yet. So right, right. When, when the script started getting 
getting buzz in um in 2021 you know i you you build relationships over over the course of your career and and there's always those favors that you can call once you know and so again having wanted to be a filmmaker for a long time i always knew that the first feature would happen eventually and i and you know several friends and colleagues have kind of said hey when when the big one comes let me know and and let's talk and so as the the script started you know it, it blew up on the blacklist getting a bunch of downloads and high scores and you know different it won the teleplay competition at catalyst festival which is the old itv fest uh they moved from vermont to minnesota and so as this was happening i start i was like okay we have to do something this the, the momentum behind this is too big to ignore now uh, but I wasn't I w- it wasn't getting any traction in development land at that point. My my manager and I um, went separate ways. And so I was trying to figure out what to do with this. And the first thought was, let me shoot a proof of concept, because the few people who did respond to the script said pass. But they said, if you, if you can see something, would love to see it. Hmm. Um, and it's it's a very jokey show. It's very networky, you know, like it's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine Parks and Rec Mike Sure NBC adjacent kind of a show. So the humor is very, you know, rhythmic and 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 uh, a big kind of part of the viewing experience that doesn't always translate on the page and so i thought about producing the proof of concept and then as i was investigating just kind of where to do it and what it would cost and working with my producer to sort of work through that uh the people that we met at catalyst festival in minnesota uh you know introduced us to the upper midwest film office who administer uh, production incentives in the state of Minnesota. Oh, it's and really un- good in Minnesota, I've heard. We have another yeah. from Minnesota who is talking about it. Yeah, and unlike other states that do just a tax credit for a million dollar spend, uh, the the they have three stackable 25% back cash back rebates. So they just write you a check and the minimum spend is only $100,000 as opposed to a million to qualify for all three of them. So all three. Yeah, so it it kind of felt like the it, it was the the right time because we had the script. It was the right place because the script takes place in a town on the northern border, and Minnesota is perfect for that. And so we just I I talked to my producer, and we and we kind of just started getting the ball rolling. And you know, once we priced out what it would cost to go out there to shoot a proof of concept, it wouldn't take much more to just shoot the whole thing. So that's kind of the what we did and why we did it. Is it a half hour? Yes, yeah, a 30 minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's so interesting. So maybe this is proving that it's funny and people can watch it and go, oh yeah, I get it. And you know, and see it. It's a there's a there's a there's a divide there that's so interesting between the level of seeing um a show on a page and reading it and going, oh, okay, I get it. But then being able to watch the writer or watch the show or you actually see something that someone has done by the time that they have credits and that seems to be the thing that leads to more work so what's your plan going forward with it now that you've got it in post yeah and i mean you're you're totally right it's it's also just way easier to get someone to watch something than it is to get someone to read something read something you know? yeah I, exactly. I feel like you know p- p- mountains of scripts stack up on 
on development desks. But if you have a completed project, I found it's very easy to get someone to spend 10 minutes, 30 minutes of their time to watch a completed thing. So that was sort of part of, you know, the, the weighing the pros and cons of it, you know, the, that kind of made the decision easier. And now that we have it, we're, we're still pursuing development options, you know, because we're trying to still shop the show around, but now, you know, we're out to festivals at this point and festival season is already starting. So, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of up in the air seeing where this goes, but I'm, I'm excited that people are finally going to start being able to see it. That's so cool. So this means you own your show right now. At the moment, it's it's mine. I wrote it. I produce it with my producing partner. But um, so the two of us are, you know, it's our it's our project. So we're interested to see what happens. I, I was curious because of the title of your other project. Do you have a music background? I do. I uh, music is definitely it's a hobby for me. I I grew up playing the saxophone and. When I went to college, I taught myself guitar because I didn't want to be this guy that brings the saxophone to college. Uh, but it, music's kind of all. Sax is so cool. So you're playing jazz. <laughs> uh, I played in the jazz band um, in high school. I, and I, I, again, I'm from New Jersey, so Bruce Springsteen music was a huge influence on me. And Clarence Clemens is, you know, the one of the greatest saxophone players of all time, as far as I'm concerned. So that was Absolutely. just musical influences that I grew up with. Uh, jazz. My favorite movie is The Blues Brothers. So just all uh, all of that has kind of just been a huge part of my life and i enjoy i still enjoy playing music i write jokey songs some of what i'm doing now on instagram and twitter is just writing song parodies about the entertainment industry and <laughs> making myself laugh and hopefully making other people laugh but for the the musical project i i co-wrote the music with a composer buddy of mine um and it was a fun it was a fun process because i wanted to do something that was just not a project that happens in film school you know you get a lot of these very good but very intense slice of life dramas where nothing's happening but like everything's happening and i wanted to do something where the character there's no subtext the character says exactly what they want looking right down the barrel of the lens and and singing it out loud and that to me was just a fun a fun challenge that's super fun i love music humor and i, I would love to see more of it on screen did it come into play your your sense of music or even the music that you chose for your pilot it did there it there are i, I don't want to reveal anything because the jokes are kind of runners throughout the pilot but there's mm -hmm. um, a lot of musical jokes throughout we we reference a couple songs multiple times that I think is hilarious. And if you if you know it, it's funny. If you don't know it, you're like, what the hell are they talking about? But um, music like there's a, a running a running joke about karaoke that is happening throughout the pilot and certain songs pop up. Uh, and then also I, I do a lot of music videos here in New Jersey and my one buddy's band, Bobby Mahoney, they play in Asbury Park and the Stone Pony all the time. And I do their music videos. And so some of their music is in the pilot as well, because we wanted to have Kind of like a punk rock sort of aesthetic so yeah i mean music's always always something i'm thinking about and when i'm writing yeah i have a writing playlist I, i'm always thinking of songs that could go over top of scenes and music's a big part of it for me oh i love that that's so fun so you're thinking through those music cues even before you're getting into post-production into editing and knowing kind of where you're going to play stuff i think that's great thank you it, it makes it a bit of a challenge when you structure multiple jokes in a half hour comedy around a song that once you when, <laughs> when when it's a when it's in a script it doesn't matter but when you go to produce it you're like oh wow we we have to make this work now <laughs> we, we have to get the rights for this um and so that's you know <laughs> uh not something i would i would recommend starting out with but uh but I, i've always i've always enjoyed 
musical humor and humor involving music. And I Me think too. it's, I think that like when, when a song comes on that is either ironic or juxtaposing the situation, um, I, I forget, was it Warm Bodies? Was that the, the vampire movie that was like Romeo and Juliet, but vampires oh, or, zom- or, or, or zombies? It, I think it was. I think it was zombies and yeah, yes, we get the thumbs yes. up. Um, <laughs> there's a moment. There's a moment in that film where the zombie and the the lead are falling in love. Again, it's like a Romeo and Juliet story, and Springsteen's "Hungry Heart" comes on, and that's it's so funny, like, but perfect. it's also so perfect. And and so those kind of like when the song is the joke, that to me is is gold. So I, I always I try to when I can, especially in like short films and stuff for the internet where it doesn't matter. You know, I try to do that as much as I can. Did you see Good Girls? Have you watched it at all? No, I haven't. They use, they use music humor in the show, and I'm thinking of this one scene where they're they're playing Glory of Love, the old one, <laughs> like from the '80s, and it's the scene where she's running over the bad guy with her car. And it was just absolutely genius. You know, the use of that song and that music cue in that moment, like, oh God, I just had tears running down my face. I was like, whoever is in <laughs> music supervision on the show is just killing it. It is so funny. It's That's such so an great. awesome layer to, to comedy. Let's talk more about comedy because it's a behind the scenes conversation that I'm having with a couple of my showrunner friends. You know, I, I do some stand up, though, I haven't got back to it, you know, since the pandemic. It seems like it derailed so many of our lives. But I love being plugged into the scene with comics and, you know, seeing where the direction comedy is going, because we've had so much change between the pandemic, everything that now needs to be so PC. And the fact that I don't think that we have like that many really hilarious shows on the air right now. And I you know, feel free to disagree with me. But in terms of like laugh out loud, um, one of my friends calls it like the adorable shows. <laughs> Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is adorable, but maybe you're not gonna, you know, have tears streaming down your face from the jokes. So what is your <laughs> what's your perspective and opinion about all this? Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I love Ted Lasso. Yeah, I so think do I. I, I like so do I. just right right here. I just I happen to have a belief. I know it's a podcast, which is no one's gonna see it, but trust me, he it's just there. held up his belief sign <laughs> and it was within reach. Uh, no, so I, I mean, that show aside, I, cause I, I'm, I love that that show just exists, but I, I feel like just because of the way streaming has sort of the, the binge watch, like the season long binge watch has been a thing. Um, it, you know, it's allowed for us to throw out the, the rules that a 60 minute show is drama and a 30 minute show is ha ha funny laugh track comedy. And, you know, I mean, HBO has been doing it for years with like the HBO half hour, like insecure and crashing and back, you know, as far back as even Larry Sanders. It's just that's it, it's 30 minutes of comedy, but it's not laugh out loud. And now that everything's streaming and everything's web, there's just way more shows that, you know, because we know you're going to watch five episodes in a row. We don't need to overload you with jokes in 30 minutes that you're going to talk about for another week because we can get one joke in an episode and we know you're going to watch the next one. So we'll get you a couple jokes like haha jokes in there. And, and I feel like that's, you know, and that's just kind of the way TV shows have been have been going because that's how they're being written because that's how they're being watched. But what I like, I still I still love haha funny shows. Canusa Street, I wrote it to be, a, a, a again, a very networky, jokey show. And so I'd love to see, I'd love to see more. I mean, even kind of zooming out, not just comedy, but just episodic story of the week 
true episodic television again because some of my favorite shows like stargate sg1 and, and all the star treks and just the idea that you can have just one episode that tells a story and it wraps up with a little bow and we hit the reset button for the next episode right. that's storytelling that i love and and for comedy episodics that's that's how you can get a show that just has laugh out loud after laugh out loud joke because we know it's just a one and done thing and, and next week you'll watch the next one. So right, it's true. You go but way back in time. One of my favorites out of the UK was Black Books. And I'm also thinking of Letter Kenny. You know, there's been yeah. Of, yeah, that have come that have kind of burst through. I mean, I hope we just end up with more funny stuff on TV. And I'm not sure what's going on in, in those writers rooms. That, yeah, it's, that it's, it's like we, we don't we, where's the where's the sense of I mean, it used to be like the jokes per page. And now right. you know, there's a maybe is it more attention to story? Do you think what's eclipsing that in that urgency to make sure that we have an audience in stitches? I, I again, I, I feel like it has to do with the fact that because shows I, and, and look, there's a lot of pros to, to this argument, too. But the fact that shows now are being planned out entire seasons in advance. I mean, you know, the 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 Netflix model where we have to structure a show like a 10 hour movie you're you know rooms are getting smaller because you, the people breaking the story are smaller groups and sometimes it's just the showrunner writing all the shows right and and so because a lot of tv now is a you know just a long movie in terms of the, like it's not a, a beginning middle and end for each episode but each episode has plot points to advance the a story like we're very a story heavy Right yeah, now. no doubt. And, and some of the shows are just only a story. We've lost the B and C out of some of these shows I've noticed too. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at Ted Lasso, they, the, they did a bottle episode. They actually did two because there was a Christmas episode, a Christmas special because it's British TV. Uh, but they <laughs> did, they did, um, they did a bottle episode where it's all just a total, like what happened last night for, for one of the coaches. And it's this insane like odyssey of a, a a night out that just has nothing to do with the a plot of the story and a lot of my friends who are not writers hated it because they're like this has nothing to do with anything i'm like i know that's the point it's an it's an episode of tv i mean i feel like some of the best the best hours of television have been bottle episodes and b story episodes i mean look at the um what was it uh homicide was it homicide life on the streets where it, where it was like the night off um and like they were waiting for the phone to ring for a crime and there was no crime that day and so you just dealt with the characters talking about their side stuff um i th i think that's the show i I, I I hate if i'm butchering it but i mean i i'm a i love i love bottle episodes again define that on. for define that for any of the listeners who don't know bottle episode yeah, it's the, a bottle episode is a it's a, a show that takes place like it's an episode of of the show that where we're on one of our standing sets and the story is a very small self-contained thing that has nothing to do with your major a story of of the series and for me that's that's fun as an audience member and as a writer you know those are the best if, if you're trying to spec an episode those are the best episodes to spec because it shows right. you under, it shows you understand the characters but you don't have to break this entire new story arc within a, a, a season so I don't know. It's the playtime in TV that just by nature of we don't it's 10 episode seasons now and a season, a show might only go for two seasons, maybe three if they're right. lucky. It, so there's no time for that. You can't afford to waste an episode on on a bottle story now. And that sucks because I feel like that's where comedy thrives. Mm. 
That's such a good point. Uh, it's a really fun way to think about it. I even going back to like my childhood, you know, I'm thinking through some of the shows in the eighties that I used to watch. And that seems like it was very common, uh, at least back then. We don't see it as much now. It's because as you're talking about the entire show is like a long movie. Right. And also because, you know, you as the audience member, you could watch that one episode feel like oh that was that was cool and different and you have a week to debrief and to and to refresh before the next episode but now again because binge stream binge watching is a thing there i feel like the patience for not having as an audience member for not having significant plot development within an hour or 30 minute time that is sort of dwindling as well so mm-hmm. Um, to, to your point about why like comedy is sort of maybe leaving TV, it's just I, the short, you know, short form material that you can throw away after you watch it. That's 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 web and TikTok right now. So right. I, I, I'd love to see more shows like that, but it's it, you know, you need showrunners to write them and you need networks to green light them. And I'm available for staffing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I don't know about you, but like it seems like in the past month, I just can't even remember what I'm watching because the binging of dropping an entire season has now stopped. And it seems like Netflix and Apple and Amazon have now gone, Oh no, we're back to only one episode per week on a whatever Tuesday at nine o'clock at night. I don't know about you. I mean, I have a a 10 year old blessedly uh, at home. And if he did, if he wasn't going to school, I would not know what day of the week it was. (laughs) And I'm not like, I don't have a a running list, you know, sitting at my bedside table or something. So sometimes I will just, you know, be like, oh, great. I have an hour to watch something. And I'm like, I feel like I'm watching stuff. Like, what am I watching? And I'm bouncing around from apps, trying to even remember, you know, but yeah, there's just this, the, the space plus the deluge of options, you know, I'll watch stand up or we watch whose line is it anyway, a lot. Oh, the best. The best, you know, we'll just go drop in and have a laugh and watch this stuff, the impala cleansers between shows and you know, <laughs> just, you know, have a have a great time. But then, yeah, it just completely gives me amnesia. I'm like, oh, I no idea what I, I think yeah. I'm of the White Lotus right now. <laughs> and uh, and I, I and I was just started watching uh, Mythic uh, Mythic Quest MQ nice. so much. And we've got season three and I was like, oh, great. And then I just opened it up last night and I was like, wait. I, the next episode is like on Friday. It's not, I don't, I watched them all, but I only, but I watched four, you know, <laughs> I'm so confused. And I was like, oh, great. I'll go watch Slow Horses. They have a new season coming out. Oh, I'm so excited that that's here. And I like drop in with that. And then right. that's two episodes. And I'm like, what day of the week is this coming out again? <laughs> I'm so lost. And then my head like is mixing all these different shows together. You know, yeah. I, I need the, uh, I, back when I was a kid in the eighties, like they knew even with, okay, we have, you know, cable and like 10 stations on or whatever, you know, gradually is growing to be 40, call it 40 stations. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but we knew that it, the shows are coming out weekly, whether you're watching Knight Rider or whatever else right. coming out weekly, it's coming out on Tuesday. There's nothing else to watch anyway that night. This is the only thing you're going to watch. And then they still know that you're probably distracted by your life and you need to see 
the you know the the quick update on like here's what you missed last week and then they right. the 20 second update on here's and because people would miss it we didn't have tivo you couldn't record yeah. it and you might have actually missed that episode and you missed it for good you right. can't go back and see it's over it's gone so they know you're dropping in with the new week and they're like oh quickly let us get you up to date you know up to speed on on what you might have missed and i i don't know personally maybe i'm just coming into like my mid 40s here but uh <laughs> I need I need some updates. I need some coming in. I'm with you. I mean, I feel like some of my fondest memories of TV watching as a kid were I mean, A, um the eleven to twelve block on ABC family where they showed whose line is it anyway reruns. Um, that was the best. And then because you watched it's two episodes of Whose Line, and if you made the mistake of keeping the TV on, it would switch into the 700 club and it would just total shift in tone. <laughs> But I, I like I always used to love the scenes from next week's episode, right. especially especially on shows like 24, where it was like the big events like water cooler, at, you know, at, at school the next day, you know, talking about what happened or whatever. Um, like just the coming up next on a sneak on, peek, right? Next, just a little sneak next week. Peek. Yeah, like that next week yeah. on Survivor, like all of that was that was the best because you know, you had to wait a week. So I want to just give, give me a little, a little hook to, to keep me invested. Um, but the, yeah, just the, the viewing, the sitting down, like appointment televisions. I, I have fond, fond memories of for sure. I know, gosh, those eras of like, you know, running home, quitting everything, going, I can't do my homework right now because I've got a, <laughs> this episode of Magnum PI or like whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, for, it was um, on Friday nights were were new episodes of Stargate SG-1 and Battlestar Galactica. And then Monday nights were the, I was a total nerd as a kid, uh, but and then mon Monday nights were the four That's hour. The gave you away though, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> But I, I would do the four hour marathon of the because that show was on for like 10 years. So I get but like, again, I, I knew like I had my TV watching down to like the date and time, you know, and because no, no new shows were on Friday. So I could do my sci fi thing on Friday. But then Thursday night was huge because that was um, that'd be a 24 and Survivor, you know, and so I don't know. Like it's I, I love I love that we're getting back to it. I think what Disney is doing with the Star Wars shows and Mandalorian and, and, and again, it's like we're back to we'll, we'll drop one, maybe two episodes right. in a week. So we'll give you like a, a second watch, but then you have to wait a month for the next one. So, you know, yeah, what, we, what, we loved that with Moon Knight uh, my yeah. and I watching Moon Knight and we just couldn't wait for the next one to come out. And that, that one was really exciting. I feel like the show has to be exciting enough and paced enough, though, that we're you know, that they really have us hooked. Yeah. And then uh, again, a, a benefit of the smaller seasons and smaller shows it, i mean not smaller in terms of scale but smaller in terms of writing staffs is that not because 22 episodes it's it's not 22 episodes so you're getting good writing more as opposed to an episode that can be throwaway you know and that's not to say that those episodes are bad because again i love i love just a good tangent show but um you know the the focus i think audience members are demanding more out of their entertainment now and the quality of storytelling has to be there and our patience for for you know garbage is not there as much anymore so it's a higher it's a higher bar to, to meet for sure um what is but, I mean, we have so many options we have so many choices and 
You have to hold yourself as a writer to a much higher bar because every audience at home, I mean, you're a click away from porn. So right. it's not like you go <laughs> to the movie theater and you've sat down with your popcorn and they have you as a captive audience, you know, like this is a whole other alternate viewing experience with a lot more demand on it. So they don't, you don't lose them. Yeah. And, and because you're right. It's like, it, unlike 20 years ago where you had, you know, a, a couple, a couple shows or a couple stations that were actually showing narrative, you know, TV. Um, now you can find anything anywhere all the time. And you're one click away from porn or the office and either, you know, the two, the two extremes of the, of the binging spectrum, where does this show fall between office reruns and porn? <laughs> is what we're what we're constantly navigating between this is the xy axis now <laughs> of home viewing <laughs> yeah did you have it like a safety show during a comfort show during the pandemic of something you were re-watching because i know netflix released the numbers that like 50 percent of us were just re-watching stuff in the pandemic what was it for you for me i i bounced between i mean every couple years i'll do a west wing rewatch, but only the first four years where aaron sorkin wrote the show because it very clearly dipped off after he left. Um, so, you know, I did, a, I did during the pandemic, I did a Sorkin rewatch of uh, West Wing, Studio 60 and the newsroom. And that like, cause I was constantly, I was writing as much as I could during the pandemic. So that like kind of just word syllable vomit that the ping pong dialogue that's been uh, spoofed in so many sketches, uh, I, I ate that up. So that for me was, um, and so I'll, I'll do I'll do the West Wing every couple of years and the pandemic just happened to be I was overdue to do the first four seasons of the West Wing again <laughs> to go back to go back. And then WandaVision was the new show that I, yeah. I fell in fell in love with it because not, you know, as a Marvel fan, I'm like, this is great. But as a TV as like a TV writing as a TV writer and a TV writing fan and a, just a, a, a student of of television in general. I mean, that was it, it was so nostalgia fuel in the best possible way. Um, you know, just, and, and all the, like how they did both, you know, I love Lucy and the twilight zone in the same episode and they did Dick Van Dyke and then each, you know, uh, Brady bunch and just, it, so many, all of that was like a TV writer's dream to watch. So, so I really, creative. I really enjoyed that one. I love that one too. And I really love the shows that I can sit down and watch with my son. Yeah. It, it's so meaningful. I mean, I have memories growing up of watching Magnum PI with my mom. It was one of the shows she would take a break from, from all the stuff she was doing. And so now we watch together and have a laugh and admire Tom Selleck. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. My, uh, C CSI was the one that I would always watch with my parents. Um, Cause it, it would be, it'd be survivor than CSI than Letterman. And so like Thursdays were, were CBS nights in, in my house growing up. I, I still have catching the late night, but I'm not a late night person anymore. So I'm watching them in the morning when I, yeah. wake up. you know, it was cool to see during the pandemic, everybody just go home. I watched Colbert probably the most frequently and, um, he got hit, got Evie involved in the show. <laughs> and, um, it just made me feel so connected to what was happening because it was affecting everyone and watching the right. late night hosts go home, you know, to do like their, their, their shows at home. John Oliver's show didn't change that much. He's like, here we are still doing, it, still winning every Emmy. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it was definitely, definitely interesting to see the, the shows adapt to not having an audience. Um, as, as a filmmaker, I was like, guys, come on, don't shoot on your phone, put up a camera, set up lights, hire me. Like let's, <laughs> we can, we can make this, we can make this prettier. Um, 
but but it was it was it was cool to watch um i, lo I mean i loved the snl at home not because it not, oh my God, not because it was home. like it wasn't they weren't like the funniest sketches in the world but it was more of hey we're all in this together and yeah. i feel like in, in the same way when when snl came back after 9 11 when the daily show came back after 9 11 yeah. i feel i feel like as as a someone from new jersey and i i could see the smoke from from my house you know and, and so it was seeing like seeing comedy come back after like it's just it brings us in and i think it unites us in a way that to see snl do the shows from home i think more so than any other late night show i was like oh right we're all in this together we're gonna be okay you know we'll, we'll get through this so it really affected was... me too and I, I it was what i went towards it, what our whole household went towards was that kind of viewing of wanting to stay connected and feeling like the news was way too heavy yeah you know and looking for somewhere for you know human connection that wasn't just absolutely terrifying it just took so much of the edge off and um just yeah it was like it was it was soothing you know it was really soothing yeah it it, it really was and I, I mean i i had ever since yeah pandemic and then also you know the the trump years i i, I had to steer away from late night for a little bit because right. when I, I was working in it and it was just totally saturated by it and, and it was nice to sort of like get away from the news of the day for a hot second uh but when the pandemic hit my roommate who was also uh the producer on canusa street we were living together in la at the time and he had the entire uh box set of a uh, flying circus so we would do we would do monty python nights oh. Amazing. And it was so it was so great because it was just such like a, it felt like a warm hug. <laughs> right. Know? That's funny because we had the box set of the entire uh, all the Dean Martin. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it was just so great because like, I don't know, I'm, I'm enough of a nerd that like I always <laughs> am trying to give my son a sense of what came before on television, you know, and for a long yeah. time he was just like, ah, oh, I won't watch black and white. Uh, oh, everything looks so old. Or why is it just a square on TV instead of like be filling up the whole screen or whatever? <laughs> He's such a futurist, but it was oh, really man. fun to take him back into some of those old sketches and uh, and really watch the the magic of Dean Martin because he used to do those shows without any rehearsals. I was in his yeah. contract to not do any rehearsals. He would just do it on the fly, kept all the mistakes in, it was yep. broadcast live to millions of people in the United States at the time when there was four channels on TV. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and everybody would watch. And you know, there were moments that were so worth seeing where like, you know, a dancer would screw up coming down the stairs and he would go, oh, everybody, you know, back to one, we're going to do it over just for you, everybody back up the stairs, you know, and then like, yeah. you pull it off and you go, oh, fantastic. We love it. You know, and then she go, <laughs> and it was like, and he just was so loose and so easy. And I think I've always admired that as, you know, someone who has had to learn to be relaxed, especially like hosting or anything like right. that. I start off, you know, you're so tense and it's like, oh my God, there's all this pressure. And then you have to find a way to throw that away and enjoy yourself because then everybody else enjoys themselves too. I think that's maybe what I've always admired so much about the late night hosts. I'd love to see a woman up there. What do you think? Do you think we're gonna get a woman late night host before late night no longer exists? I mean, I'm I'm rooting for Amber Ruffin. Put her put her in in, in court and spot, or give her the Daily Show. Give her something because she's oh. you know I love I love her show and it needs to be on more than one night a week. Right. Um. Yeah, she's also just the nicest person in the world. So I I'm rooting I'm rooting for Amber to to do you know. To be, to be next up. I, I do we you don't know who's going to take over for Trevor Noah yet, do we? No, it's it, it's a bunch of guest hosts, which means either 
um, they're going to eventually find someone. I hope they don't audition people the way they did with Jeopardy. Like, I hope oh, they I was just, just thinking you know, that when you said that. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're doing guest hosts because I, I just don't think Paramount and Viacom knows what to do with The Daily Show. But I, it's it sucks. But I, I don't know. Like, it, it might not. It might not stick around because everyone watches. You know, all the like those late night clips on YouTube the next day, and so. I, I hope it does. It's, it's a New York institution. I, I was in the audience for one of John Oliver's final shows and it was, it was awesome. Uh-huh. It was so, it was so cool. Uh, I asked him a question about Bruce Springsteen and he talked for like 20 minutes about it, but, <laughs> um, but no, so I, I hope, I hope someone takes over the show. I hope they don't can it. It's just, I'm, you, you see so many comedy shows like talk comedy shows, not doing well in streaming. Because, you know, like what Netflix canceled. Yeah, it eats you, it eats you uh, the news cycle, eats you alive, you know, is this so the, every day. Oh, yeah. And, and also just the, the fact that I think the format, streamers don't know, don't know what to do with it. Because um, Patriot Act, they, they, you know, that didn't last very long. I know, I um, love that too. It was such a bummer. And that, and that was like one of Netflix's first episode, you know, one episode a week shows. Yes. Um, I mean, and they really gave it to Hassan Minaj to like carry, you know, and his vision for it and where it came from. And I mean, yeah, it was really sad to see that it didn't it last. I would have loved to have watched more of that show. Yeah. And, and same with, I, you know, whatever, whatever happened with, with Jesus and Miro, you know, but that, that show didn't last on Showtime very long. And so I, I haven't, I'd love to see new format comedy pop up, but you're just not seeing those in the new series orders. So the daily show, which has been around forever and like the tonight show and, and Letterman or late, the late show, it's like, those shows are going to stick around maybe, but I don't, if we're going to get new ones, we, we you need a comedy friendly executive. Who's like, yeah, let's like try stuff, you yeah. know, let's, let's do a variety show where we can audition new talent or and not, not like American idol audition, but like, like a, you know, a, a Dean Martin show or your show of shows or, or anything like that, where you can just have acts do things. Um, I mean, that's how Monty, Monty Python was going to, I mean, they had like no budget and the BBC yeah. was like, we don't even really know what you're doing, but you know, go ahead and do just, it. <laughs> go do it. Yeah. Just go, go do stuff. And, and I think the pandemic has proven that you can find like the, in the way that TikTok comedy is a thing now, like you can find good scripted character work on TikTok. And so, yeah, I didn't even know that. I will not download it to my phone because I do not need another distraction. Oh, right. Oh my God. But now you're telling me (laughs) I should go find the comedy there. What am I looking for? Who do you love? Uh, Like, so I don't, I don't, I try to not watch it like too, too much, but I just, I just see so many just random, like I don't follow anybody, but I just see a bunch of just, oh, this is funny. This is a character piece or this is a sketch or, you know, um, and, and, the fact that you have WME and CAA signing TikTok stars, I know they're doing, they're doing that for a reason. So yeah. I, I don't think that is the future of comedy in a sole single direction, but I just, I like to see new character, new actor, new people doing stuff. And we need our studio executives to, to be a little more comedy friendly in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. Uh, I'm so with you there. Zach, what's next for you? I have no idea. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're still with, we're working on, you know, getting Canusa Street finished in post and hopefully, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to do more of that project at some point. Uh, I'm trying, I'm starting to write whatever my next script is going to be. I have like several half-baked things that I need to dust off from the shelf. And, you know, I, I have a horror feature that I want to write and maybe do it in VR. You know, I have a, another pilot that I'm, I'm working on like a, 
you know, haha funny show as well. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm in that point now right, where a one project is ending and I know I need to start a new one. And I kind of am in that like exploring phase where I'm just throwing stuff on note cards and seeing what comes out. Oh, that's great. Well, you have some time over the holidays maybe to pick your direction. Yeah, that would be nice. I'll tell, I tell myself that now and then fast forward and it's going to be February and I'll be maybe doing the same thing, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I can be a little productive uh, in, in the time being. Oh, that's awesome. All right, I've so enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Will you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, and, and thank you for having me. This has been really great. Um, you can find me on um, YouTube and Vimeo at Zach Morrison, and then on Instagram and Twitter at Zach Morrison 18, because the, the acts from high school of adding a number after your, your username has not gone away. Um, there, there's whoever owns at Zach Morrison on Twitter and Instagram. He's this like kid in Hawaii that doesn't post. And, you know, if he's, <laughs> it's like, he's just sitting there with it. I'm like, I need it. It's mine. But, um, yeah, so I'm at Zach Morrison 18 on uh, Twitter and Instagram. That's awesome. Thanks so much for being here with us today. And I look forward to updates. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Hi Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www entertainmentbusinessleague.com Thank you.